We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. minutes a day 365 days a year this is the pack a day podcast what's going on packer fans welcome into an all-new episode of the pack a day podcast i am joined once again by the one and only sam monson you can follow him on twitter at pff underscore sam of course he is pff's lead nfl analyst you can find him as the co-host of the pff nfl podcast which you can also find on twitter at pff nfl pod sam welcome back we talked about maybe one of these days we'd actually get to talk about a packers win this is one of those days how have you been and uh walk me through what you saw from uh packers rams against a, a really really great rams team led by brett rippon right yeah good guy so good that they had to cut him before next week just in case there was any danger <laughs> that he case. saw the field again um yeah like look good week good week for the packers they they win a game um but as you say it's you got to bear in mind what the opposition was um so they did a great job they got a win they took advantage of what was in front of them but brett rippon being in front of them was a pretty important part of that yes yes very much so uh and as you mentioned he was uh ultimately released carson wentz is now in his place what did you kind of take away from this game, even though I, we've kind of been talking all week from a Packer side of things of you have to take this game with somewhat of a grain of salt. There's some fool's gold that's going to be incorporated in this because of the whole Brett Rippon and just kind of the situation the Rams were in in this game. Was there anything that you could take away from this game from a Packers standpoint that you felt was progress, something repeatable moving forward, anything that stood out to you? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't a... I felt the game plan was really good, first and foremost. I mean, anytime you come out of a game like that, okay, it was a Brett Rippon-led Rams team, but it also still had Aaron Donald on it, right? Like, there yeah. were still players there that can do damage and make things happen. And anytime you come out of a game featuring Aaron Donald, in which Aaron Donald was not a particularly important part of the game, the chances are the game plan to take him away was pretty good. Um, and it worked. And... You know, it, it did a job. And I think when you look at when you sort of watch Aaron Donald snaps, that's exactly what was taking place. They did a really good job of getting the ball out of Jordan Love's hands on a lot of plays quickly. Um, they dialed up deeper shots and, and longer developing plays only when Aaron Donald wasn't on the field. You know, the, the, the plays that he does go to the sideline and take off, it's almost like a bat signal that, OK, turn to the next play, page of the playbook, the one we don't open when Donald is on the field. So those things collectively, I thought, were pretty good. That the, the game plan was good. They executed it pretty well. Um, they were more efficient than they typically are with their offense. And there was still meat left on the bone. I mean, it's not like this was perfect and there were still mistakes made, as we've been talking about all season long. They didn't cost them in, in this game largely because of the opposition. But it does still mean that, you know, when you start looking at it in those light, in, in that light, there's more to come. You know, there, there are plays there that they didn't make that were still available. Yeah, I think that's a key takeaway from this one for me too. And specifically, yeah, the, the bizarro offside, offensive offsides penalties on fourth downs. You had two big fumbles by Aaron Jones and Dontavian Wicks. And it, you had a missed field goal by Anders Carlson. It felt like there was a lot of point production that was still left out there that I think just cleaning up a couple small things, hopefully can you you can kind of get that point production moving forward. And kind of speaking of Aaron Donald, I know it's not apples to apples from a same position standpoint, but this is a team where Max Crosby literally beat them all day long when they faced the Raiders. Aiden Hutchinson caused numerous problems when they faced him just a handful of weeks ago. So to see Aaron Donald across the field and know, all right, that guy has the same potential to wreck at any given moment. And as you mentioned, just kind of making sure he stayed in check. And, and I thought the step from Jordan kind of going back to that Detroit game where against Aiden Hutchinson and the Lions, I didn't think he did as good of a job of getting the ball out of his hands. And maybe that part of that is game planning as well. As you mentioned in this one, the ball did come out of his hands quicker. They were aware of Aaron Donald. They had a plan for it. And it worked much better than it did against Crosby and Hutchinson. Yeah. And, you know, you can see like there was one play um, where they clearly dialed up a deep shot because Donald wasn't on the field. Right. And it was a, a play action. There were only two guys in, in patterns, really. Um, they were both pushing deep down the field and neither one of them was open. And, you know, Jordan Love had all day to sort of stand there, bounce, wait for something to happen. Eventually, nobody was going to uncover. So he, it was a sort of check down, albeit one, 10 yards down the field to, to Musgrave, I think. But you're watching that play. And I don't know how long he was bouncing around back there. But you're like, this is dead if Aaron Donald is on the field. Like already <laughs> yeah. the play is over. But Donald isn't there and nobody else in the Rams was making the play in that period of time. Like that's the kind of thing that's just sort of smart play calling, game planning understanding when Donald's on the field, when he's not, because it completely changes what you can run on those plays. Now, it's a really astute observation. And honestly, I hadn't heard anyone uh, mention that as of yet of just kind of some of the stuff that they were dialing up when Donald wasn't on the field makes all the sense in the world. 
And, you know, it, it does show some of the things that Green Bay's coaching staff is doing to try to get this team back on track, putting some points on the uh, on the board, which has been such an issue for this team. And again, in this one, uh, only 20 points still, despite having a much better game this week. I did want to kind of discuss Jordan Love's game a little bit more. Uh, I believe PFF's highest graded uh, game of the season and, and probably his career, depending, I don't know where he ended up in that Eagles game um, in, uh, you know, in lieu of right. uh, Rodgers a season ago, but 83.2 grade. Uh, obviously, you guys liked what you saw this week. Yeah, I thought he was good. I mean, obviously, we talked about um, a lot of stuff being sort of high, high percentage, good game plan things, um, but there was some nice throws in there as well. And he was particularly effective on third down, you know, third down. I think he was six for eight for uh, the five of those were, were move. The chains were on first down first downs. Um, there was some meat left on the bone. You know, there was an underthrown deep shot to Christian Watson that probably should have been a touchdown. Yeah. Um, but there was some really nice plays in there as well. It was a third and 17 really nice pickup. Uh, there was a big, sort of deep over to Luke Musgrave where he has to layer it over a linebacker to get it there. There was a nice um, sort of another long third down. I think there was a nice out route to Dontavian Wicks from yep. the slot again, needed, needed some good location to get it there. So you no, know, I, I thought that was a, a good game from Jordan Love. That was the kind of game where if this is our baseline, we can work with this. Like this was the kind of player that they would want to see from him. In your time covering the NFL, have you seen an offense or a quarterback that has had so much more success in the second half of games than in the first half of games? Because it's sort of astounding. If you look at the, the halftime box score for really both quarterbacks in this one, but for Jordan too, there's nothing to write home about. And then all of a sudden the second half comes along and it's all of a sudden like the game slows down for him and everything just kind of opens up and becomes much easier for him. It has been a trend for this offense and Jordan Love through the course of the season. And it's just, it's so bizarre that they have all this success in the second half of games and have much better point production. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure something like this has happened before, but I can't think of one. His splits are wild. Um, and, you know, a lot of times these are just sort of small sample size things that swing back in the other direction after a period of time. But it has been consistent with him. Like, it's crazy that the first half you get this awful version and the worst version of Jordan Love. And then the second half, it's a different player. And it's a big swing in not just the, the numbers, but like PFF grade as well. It's very, very unusual. It is. I remember back at early Brett Favre days where there were times where he just needed to get an early completion to sort of settle down. And I remember, I forget which quarterbacks it was. I know, I think a couple of different ones have said it where um, like they just need to get hit. I think it was actually Aikman maybe when he was commentating one time where he's like, I needed to get hit in the game before I kind of settled down yeah. and kind of feel it. it does. I've kind of hypothesized. It does feel like Jordan kind of gets going a little bit more when he gets on the move. Maybe when he picks up a big scramble, you can kind of see him get a little bit. He's a very even keeled guy, but he gets a little bit more energetic when he, like, I don't know if he just needs to kind of get hit a couple times or get moving or something where it just like kind of picks up his heartbeat a little bit, but it, it is very weird how in the second half, it just, everything kind of slows down for him and the offense as a whole. All right. A couple other players that I wanted to talk about from grades this week. First on the off, uh, offensive side of the ball, a player that's getting, I think, more buzz as of late is Dontavian Wicks, 74.9 grade. I thought this was an interesting one. He had a really nice day, but also had a big fumble, first play of the second half, it's sort of a fluky one where he's reaching out for the sticks, doesn't get touched, ball pops up right into the defender's arms. They obviously you know, deliberate on it for a while. It was clearly a fumble. But your thoughts on Wicks and then still the high grade despite the fumble in this one, or high-ish grade? 
Yeah, I mean, it was a ridiculous fumble. Like it was a, a cartoon Looney Tunes type turnover. It was absolutely yep. insane. Aside from anything else, like he didn't need to reach for the first down. Like there's no point in doing that. Let and and when you when you actually look at it from any kind of sideline angle, it literally looks like he throws the ball at the cornerback from the floor. It's ridiculous. Yep. Um, but yeah, that happened. It was a, a heavy downgrade for us. But every time he caught the ball, I think he moved the chains, right? Like he had four or five catches. All of them went for first downs. Even that one, technically, he got the first down before he <laughs> drew the ball away. So, and even in our system, right? Like he'll get credit for that. He'll get credit for the sort of first down catch. And then he gets a massive negative yep. for then the fumble part of it. Like the compound grade ends up as a big negative, but he does get credit for the play he made before making a mess of it. Um, so, yeah, like every time he touched the ball, something good was happening and then that one time after the good thing he did something truly ridiculous but you know the speed is evident he's got quickness you could see they were using him sort of dragging him across the field a lot of times and it was causing the rams db some problems so i thought generally he had a pretty good game you know and, and that one cartoon fumble yeah i think i posted the uh clip of yakety sacks as soon as that happened because it was just it was one of those like you said right out of a circus or cartoon uh or whatever it might be but He's been he's been a fun player, just kind of his release package, some of the things he does at the top of the route to get open. He had kind of a little crossover move that he had on one. Uh, but yeah, he, you know, he had a drop last week uh, in, near the goal line, which was one, again, that stood out. And most of the time he's been making the most of his opportunities. These last two weeks, the drop on uh, in the red zone and then this fumble, it, it's tough for a rookie. Um, I don't know if you saw the clip, but there's a great clip of, you know, he kind of goes off the field with his head down immediately following the fumble and Aaron Jones races out on the field and picks his helmet up and, and like shakes him off, which is just classic Aaron Jones. I, I think he has, there's something there with Dontavian Wicks. I think Green Bay is going to get him on the field more. And as long as he doesn't, you know, hilariously cough up the ball to the other team, <laughs> I think he's going to be probably in a good spot moving forward. And then another one, Carrington Valentine, another rookie, uh, day three pick, same as Dontavian Wicks. This one was a seventh rounder, 84.9 grade this week, was awesome in coverage, multiple pass breakups. Um, I know obviously everyone was able to see it and, and, and see some of the clips posted this week, but your thoughts on Carrington Valentine? Yeah, he looked really good. His stats were crazy. There were like eight targets, one catch for 14 yards or something, and three pass breakups. And it wasn't just now, not every one of those is him making a great play. Or, you know, there was some bad just execution by the Rams offense. Again, yep. you know, let's circle back to Brett Rippon was the quarterback thing, right? That's gonna your numbers in coverage are probably gonna look better when Brett Rippon is your quarterback. But yep. um, it was the variety of ways that he was, I think, challenging those throws that was interesting to me. There was one where he's making a play on, you know, a, a deep um, kind of comeback type play, almost like the next target. Maybe he's he's challenging what's like a smoke route from like seven or eight yards and off coverage. Right. Those are the those are the auto plays that offenses make where it's like, oh, the, the corner is eight yards off. I'm just going to turn it and fire it out to my receiver who's going to make a play. Now, the ball was high again, Brett Rippon. Right. It's, it's not yep. a good throw. So that's going to help. But. Valentine's there. He's right at the, the receiver at the catch point, having been seven, eight yards off in coverage and having been challenging previous plays from you know deeper down the field in off coverage. So he was just consistently in the right place at the right time and several times was able to make a play because of that. But even when he wasn't, and even when the execution from the offense was bad, like he was right there where he was supposed to be doing a good job in coverage. 
Yeah, his close on that play that you mentioned was a, a play that definitely stood out to me as well. Love the energy that he brought to the field. Uh, you know, I kind of been talking about all week too. It's, you know, to replace a player like Razul Douglas have to come in. Everyone's talking about the leadership that Razul plays with on the field. That's a tough thing to come in and replace and to just come in and bring a ton of energy and then play the way that he did. Uh, Brett Rippon or not, I thought was really impressive and hopefully indicative of, uh, you know, more to come. You know, he had a tough week a couple of weeks ago against Denver and Russell Wilson gave up multiple first downs and you didn't know how he was going to respond to that and kind of bounce back. I thought he bounced back in a big way. And hopefully, again, that's a big positive for him moving forward. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of those two rookies that we just talked about, Dontavian Wicks and Carrington Valentine, we're basically at the midway point of the season for Green Bay. They've played uh, eight of their 17 games. This was a 13 person draft class for Green Bay. 10 of these, especially after seeing Anthony Johnson Jr. Uh, start this past week, 10 players of this group, we've seen some pretty significant or at least a smattering of playing time from that we can start getting a little bit of a taste of maybe who they are as players. Lucas Van Ness, Luke Musgrave, Jaden Reed, Tucker Craft, Colby Wooden, Dontavian Wicks, Carl Brooks, Anders Carlson, uh, Carrington Valentine, and Anthony Johnson Jr. being those 10. I will let you take this in any direction that you want to take it through the basically halfway point of the season, your thoughts on this Packers draft class so far. I think it's looking like a really good draft class. I mean, I liked, I liked a lot about the class at the time. I think number one, picking a lot of times in the draft is a good thing anyway, right? Because yeah. you're just maximizing your, your chances of finding good players. Number two, I like the approach they took of if we have certain positions that we need production from, let's, draft two or three players from that position group. And if one of them doesn't work out, fine. But we're maximizing the chances that at least one of them is going to come good. And it won't necessarily be the first one you pick, right? Like, you could argue that Carl Brooks has been making more plays than Lucas Van Ness for the defensive yep. line spot that they were trying to fill. On the other hand, Luke Musgrave looks like by far the best tight end they drafted in the group, right? So sometimes it'll be the top guy you draft. Sometimes it's not. But taking that swing multiple times is ensuring that you're going to get something of use out of that group. So I like the way that they approach the draft generally. And then I think we're seeing, you know, the benefit of that, that sometimes the guys that are doing well is simply because they drafted that many times. And sometimes they, they've maximized the ability to get production out of spots that they, they absolutely needed it to. Um, and then the one other thing that I guess stands out is, look, they are rookies after all, right? And almost yeah. all of them are going to be making some mistakes somewhere along the line and when you need this many rookies playing period just on the field i think you're going to get an inevitable volume of mistakes and that's part of what's defining this packers team right now like the youth movement are going with so many young players i think it's laudable in a lot of ways i think it might be a smart way to build a team ultimately but there's going to be some growing pains right like these you need a level of experience to to clean up some of the mistakes. And really that's going to be what like the future for green Bay comes down to is how quickly and how thoroughly can we iron out all of these errors and, and bad plays that they're making and just keep the good stuff. Yeah. I think the interesting thing about this draft class, I think Tucker craft is probably the one of that group that, hasn't maybe quite had the flash plays that uh, maybe everyone else has at one point or another. Everyone else you can point to and basically say in at least a, a handful of plays here or there, you can see some really positive performances and plays from just about every single one of them. I think the thing that you're always looking for, especially when you do have a 13-person draft class, again, wherever you may draft them, 
you're always trying to find that pro bowl or maybe even all pro caliber player. I think that's going to be the big measuring stick for this class is can one of these players, not this year, obviously, probably not next year, but in the next two, three, four years, can one of these guys step up, really be that all pro or pro bowl caliber player. We're seeing, I think some really potential starting caliber playing, obviously guys like Musgrave are, are starting right now and playing well, but um, is, can you find that, that, you know, kind of big time player that I think that's going to be the, the ultimate deciding factor for this class. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's one of the deciding factors of sort of teams generally, right. Is yep. you can do a lot with average players, you can get quite a long way, but sooner or later you're going to need the stars to emerge. And like, that's been the weakness of this Packers team at the moment. And even some of the star players that we know they do have are not playing at that way at the moment, you know, guys like Jair Alexander, is not playing at the star level we know he's capable of. So uh, that's that's always, I think, a big kind of determining factor of how good a team is going to be overall. Correct me if I'm wrong. Was I, I know The Athletic did something similar. Did you guys put your midseason first and second team together yet? Yeah. Yeah, and I don't. if I remember correctly, I don't think there was any Packers on that list. I, understandably so. I don't know of anyone that would have been in the conversation. Gary probably didn't play enough. Right. Unlike anyone else would be in the conversation. But uh, were there any Packers that were in that conversation that you know of that when that list got put together? Yeah, I can't think of any. You're right. Gary would be, I think, the closest one and playing time. Plus the fact that there's like six other edge rushers all playing exactly. out of their minds probably would, you know, just keeps him off that list at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think that's, again, the big thing, not only with ju just this draft class, but this team as a whole, uh, it's really fun to have a lot of these early first round picks, second round picks, Christian Watson's, Quay Walker's, Devontae Wyatt's, all the guys we just mentioned from this draft class. And I think there's a lot of potential and a lot of talent there, but now it's going to be, all right, which of these players can develop into stars and that next player like a Rashawn Gary, even if it does take a couple of years or so to yeah. get to that level. And if, if you don't have a single player on a first or second team, all pro, you know, kind of stratosphere right now, which again, Gary's probably the only one, even in the conversation that kind of tells you where you're at as a team. And they're going to have to have some bigger hits either from the players they already have from a development standpoint or wherever that first round pick ends up next year. And their other two second round picks because of the Aaron Rodgers trade that like they need to start hitting on some high, high end talent. Yeah. And, and you don't even need that many of them. I mean, the Rams are an extreme version of how sort of few yep. of those guys you can get away with and everything else doesn't matter. Like they put together a Super Bowl caliber roster with like five guys that yep. are playing at that kind of level and just a whole bunch of other people making up the numbers, right? Like 53 guys on the roster. So 49, 48 of them basically inconsequential. They just had four or five guys at the most important positions all playing out of their minds. And that's good enough. I mean, Chiefs too, right? Like Mahomes, uh, Chris Jones, Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, uh, pro probably, yeah, it's probably like the main group, right? Like the four or five guys that you need playing at an extremely high level. Yeah, I mean, I think the Chiefs are, a, a, they were a more well-rounded roster. It's better distribution throughout it. Like the Rams, I think are the most extreme version of like everything got sunk into five, six guys um, and everything else was like the, the caliber of the other 47, 48 guys was just was way lower but it shows that like not only can you be successful doing that i mean you can be a contender doing that if you get that kind of the right players playing at the right level um so i think it sort of shows you how few you do need to hit but you're going to need them to hit eventually big time all right before we let you go packers steelers this upcoming week I'm sure everyone's just drooling over the Joe Barry defense versus the Matt Canada offense. Uh, what are you going to be looking forward to in this game and uh, some key things to watch? 
Well, you've got that and you've got two teams that only seem to come alive, you know, in the, the second, second half. half or the fourth quarter. Like this is going to be a weird game where nobody's doing anything for three quarters. <laughs> and then suddenly the game goes nuts and Kenny Pickett and Jordan Love are trading blow for blow, you know, in the final eight minutes to decide what the hell is going to happen in the game. Amazing. It is it is a bizarre uh, dynamic for both of them. Yeah, I think so too. I, I'm I'm excited because it just has this aura of bizarreness about it. And I am all for a crazy, bizarre, weird matchup. Steelers have a little extra time to rest coming off a Thursday night win. Um, I'm going to be interested to see the whole George Pickens situation following the Thursday night football stuff. Uh, I'm expecting they maybe try to get the ball in his hands a little bit. And like you said, that that you know, just turn off the game until halftime and then turn it in the second half and see what's going on. It's probably going to see some fireworks at that point. Sam, amazing stuff as always. Uh, where can we find your work? Tell us about the podcast. Anything else you want to plug? Yeah, pff.com or the PFF NFL podcast, wherever you get your podcasts or YouTube. That's where we're all at every day. Make sure to check out the pod. It's awesome every single time. Again, you can follow him at PFF underscore Sam. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. For Sam Monson, I'm Andy Herman. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. And as always, go Pack Go. Headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.